Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here alongside Megan Gower. We have a lot of international basketball to talk about this week, starting with the Olympic roster. As we expected, a lot of UConn players on it. A couple surprises in there. It was revealed on Monday morning on the Today Show. Starting with the easy ones, Brianna Stewart made the roster. I think easy for most people would be Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi. There as well, Tina Charles will go to her third Olympics and probably the dark horse pick that not a ton of people were expecting, but Nafisa Collier makes the roster. So after a great start to her WNBA career, two really good seasons in the WNBA, she's, I don't want to say the token young player, but just you want to have a younger player get that Olympic experience, especially, you know, that this is barring some incredible miracle, probably Bird and Tarasi's last Olympics could be Tina Charles last Olympics. Sylvia Fowles is getting up there. So there's really a possibility that a lot of this current Olympic roster won't be around in 2024. So Collier gets in. I think it's probably a pleasant surprise and one that is deserved, but I think it was just something that we probably weren't necessarily expecting. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think pleasant surprise. She's definitely been in kind of the like fringe part of the pool for a while now. But I feel like really with this roster, at least we hadn't really heard much about like who's going to make the team, who's not going to make the team. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, here's the roster. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I'm pleasantly surprised to see her on there. I think especially the way she's performed in the WNBA the past couple of seasons. I mean, she was like a pretty much a Brianna Sturt and Asia Wilson were your like top MVP candidates last year, but Fisa was right there. So definitely has earned a, a chance to play with this team. It also doesn't help. Like I was looking through her Olympic or her USA basketball page and she had been in a couple training camps, but she, I think the only like senior competition she had played in was the America cup. And that's not even a very, I don't want to say it's not a serious competition, but like countries don't send their a teams, at least the U S and Canada don't send their a teams to those competitions. So there really hadn't been a ton of actual senior national team games, extended looks at the roster, probably since they went on that college tour during the 2019, 20 season, when obviously they lost to Oregon, they played UConn at the XL center because of the pandemic, there just hadn't been a whole lot of times where we've really seen the national team. So it could just be that when they had those camps, she showed really well on top of her performance with her club, And because we hadn't had those opportunities to see what a roster might look like for a regional tournament or even just a friendly tight tournament, we didn't really know where the pool stood. So I feel like that also just helps Collier be more of a surprise decision. Whereas if they were consistently playing games and more of a normal routine, maybe she would have gotten a few call-ups at this point on a consistent basis. Maybe we would have seen her play some more minutes and she would have been more of a fixture instead of just being someone who's, as you said, always kind of on the fringe in these training camps, not making final rosters. And then boom, all of a sudden on honestly, probably the biggest roster of them all, the Olympic roster, because yeah, there's the world cup, but I think it's kind of inverse from soccer where in soccer, the world cup is, the A1, the top event, the number one thing you want to win in the Olympics are kind of this secondary type major tournament. 
And for basketball, it seems to be flipped where the Olympics are where everything is. And then secondary is the world cup. Cause I think that just draws a lot less attention. So yeah, good to see FISA on it, but just a little out of the blue. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, Olena Deladon being out still with her back injury, I think she's not expected back to August. The latest I've seen definitely opened up some room for Collier to, to sneak in there onto this roster. So that situation definitely helped as well, but a well-deserved spot for her. And I mean, I feel like one of the biggest struggles with Team USA is also not that they're going to have any trouble winning the gold, but just like the chemistry because they don't play together that option. And she has experience playing with Brianna Stewart in college. She plays with Sylvia Fowles now. So they get a little bit of that with adding her too. I think it's also just kind of incredible to think about how much changes in the Olympic cycle, normally four years, obviously five years this year, but go back to 2016 and Brianna Stewart was probably the last player on that roster. She was somewhat of a controversial pick by making it over Candace Parker. And you fast forward now. And if she's not the first person that you put on the roster, she's probably number two. She's turned into this global superstar, the best player in the world. And it's not that four years, five years is a short time, but just by judging off the Olympic cycles and super said how you kind of each Olympics you go to, you're at a different point in your life. So it's just amazing to think that the last time there were an Olympics, Brianna Stewart wasn't somehow this guaranteed player on the roster. Yeah. And in a way it's like crazy how fast that's changed, but it really changed faster than that because I think, you know, probably two years past the 2016 Olympics, she was probably, if you had to make an Olympic roster in 2018, she would have been your first choice. So it really happened so quick when she got to the league, but obviously no surprise to see her on this roster. Right. And it is just worth mentioning how absurd it is that Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi are going to their fifth Olympics I believe that ties a record. I think that was in one of the releases that that ties a record with a bunch of other non-basketball athletes. I think there actually is one basketball athlete in there, but I mean, I don't know how you can actually get to more than five Olympics because that means if my math is right, that you would, it would be a 20 year difference between your first Olympics and your last Olympics. So unless your first Olympics, you were like 16 or 18 and you're going when you're, 38 or something like that's just kind of mind boggling to think about that. Their first one was in 2004 and now they're going in 2020 parentheses, 2021. Yeah. It's just crazy to think about. I mean, in 2004, I was like still in elementary school. So it's (laughs) like so long ago, (laughs) really insane how much has happened in that amount of time. (laughs) Right. I think I was six years old. So. I think that puts me, what, in first grade? Yeah. (laughs) They were going to the Olympics. And not for nothing, it is, you know, a little disconcerting seeing these are all people that went to the same school as us. We are all alumni of the University of Connecticut. And it's like, ah, they're going to the Olympics. I am just happy that I went outside today. (laughs) (laughs) I have not been outside today, so you've got one up on me. (laughs) Just whenever I see UConn people doing things successfully, that's just always my first thought. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay. You're doing that while I'm doing this. But anyways, obviously the roster didn't come without some controversy. 
controversy. Controversy? There we go. Namely, Neka Gumake was left off. A lot of people thought she was probably the biggest snub on the roster. It is worth mentioning that she's currently injured, is projected to be back in time for the start of the Olympics, if I'm not mistaken, but that did leave her kind of up in the air. Megan, you don't feel like this is necessarily a snub, do you? No, I think when I honestly, when I first looked at the roster, I was like, I don't really think there are any glaring snubs on this. And then everyone on Twitter started going on about NECA. And I see the point. She's been in the pool for a long time. She's been an MVP in the league. Like she's earned a chance to play with USA basketball. I, I get it from that perspective. But I think when you look at what the final couple of roster spots were, it was probably came down to some combination of Tina Charles, Sylvia Fowles, Nafisa Collier. I I don't know that she was snubbed. I think if you've left any of those players off, you would probably be saying the same thing. Uh, I guess the piece is the one player that maybe you wouldn't be saying that she was snubbed, but I think the piece has definitely earned a spot there. And then I also said, like I said, a big thing was this team is chemistry. They're going to play a couple exhibitions in All-Star Week in Vegas in mid-July. Chances that Neko would be back for those from her injury seems kind of slim. That pretty much lines up with the six-week timetable. So she's not going to play in that. Then she basically hasn't played in six weeks before you leave for Tokyo, that's definitely a concern. And then I, I just don't see it as a big snub. I get the perspective of like, okay, she's been in this pool for so long. This could be her last chance. I get that perspective. But I think if you like are purely looking at it in basketball perspective, the way Tina Charles is playing right now, it's hard to leave her off. Nafisa Collier has obviously been great those past few seasons. I, I don't know that NECA's numbers as of late make her a big snub on this roster. Yeah, it's also, you probably get less pushback and less anger on Twitter if you leave Nafisa Collier off, just because, as we already talked about, she wasn't really someone we fully expected to be in that pool. But at the same time, USA Basketball is here to make the tough decisions. To No one's ever going to be completely happy with the entire roster that they pick. And I think probably the injury thing with NECA is the glaring one, the, the overarching thing. And there was kind of a concern with Diana Taurasi too about it, but Diana Taurasi is supposed to be back soon. It's also, she fractured her sternum and played a couple games with that fractured sternum. So let's not pretend like that was going to keep her out of the Olympics. I think, I mean, I can't imagine what Diana Taurasi would have done. She would have gone scorched earth <laughs> if she didn't make the Olympic roster. And at the same time, she's the greatest basketball player ever to live. You don't leave her off an Olympic roster when she's still playing at a high level, even if she isn't the same player that she was in maybe 2016, you still want Diana Taurasi on the Olympic roster regardless. So I think for me, it's probably just the injury that left it off. And when you're trying to win a gold medal and you have only 12 roster spots to go with, if you have someone who's an injury question mark, it's kind of hard to justify putting them on their roster when there are so many other people that have an opportunity. Yeah. And I kind of feel like I've seen that take a lot that like Diana or Sue took that spot from NECA, but I don't really think they're competing for the same spots. NECA's a forward that kind of that pool is so dense at the forward level. And then at the guard level, I just like don't understand the argument that the two of them should not be on the roster. Because I think if you look at the WNBA guards right now, there's not really anyone that's not on this roster that's playing at a higher level than the two of them are. Yes. This leads us into our next segment, which we haven't figured out a name for, but we like to do on uh, an occasional basis here and there. But there were some really bad takes flying 
after this Olympic roster was announced. Really, really bad takes. Twitter isn't the entire world. We'll, we'll acknowledge that off the bat. But there, it wasn't like a couple random people with five followers saying this. There were like some very high-profile people just spewing these mind-blowingly stupid statements. Like, as you mentioned, Subert and Diana Taurasi shouldn't be on the roster, which... First off, Subert is probably still the best point guard in the league at age 40. And she's also having a very good season. It's not like she's having some down year and you're just putting her on the roster because of what she's done in the past. She's still playing really well right now. Yeah, exactly. I don't like she should be the starting point guard on this roster. Probably. I, I don't really see who else you're going to slate into that spot. I think it's it's really fair to have her on the roster. And I think it's really fair to have Tarasi on the roster. I think if you were talking about, okay, does like Jewel Lloyd make the roster? If she doesn't make the roster and is one of them taking her spot? Okay, sure. But Jewel Lloyd's already on the roster. So like, I just, I don't know what other guards you can point to that are playing at a level that you think that Sue Bird and Diana Trossi should not be on this roster. There, there's no one to point to. I mean, Diana Trossi was a, what, second team all WNBA last season. Like she's still playing at this high level. I don't care that she's 39 years old. If she's still playing at that level, she deserves to be on the roster. Right. And as I just said, you put Diana Taurasi on the roster if she can walk. If there was a football national team, you're putting Tom Brady on that roster because you are you know you're going to win. For basketball, I don't love him, but you put LeBron James on that team until he can no longer play basketball. The U.S. Women's National Team, they're revealing the roster on Wednesday morning. Carly Lloyd is going to be on that roster. She hasn't played well, but she shows up in big moments that is going to get her a spot on the roster. When you have these aging superstars that have proven that they show up in big moments, you put them on the roster if they are healthy and if they're playing well enough to deserve it. And Diana Taurasi checks off all of those boxes. So the concept that she shouldn't be on the roster either, it just, it makes no sense. No sense. Absolutely no sense. (laughs) I just like, I can't even find a guard in the league that you point to that like deserves that spot more like there's no like in all of these t- bad takes on twitter no one has been like this person deserves that spot there, and, well i've seen a couple takes on sprint deserves that spot but that's so left field that it's not valid there's been no good takes that like someone deserves that spot <laughs> right i mean it's it and then the funniest part is that Devereaux peters had a long twitter thread Former Notre Dame basketball player, former WNBA player, Devereaux Peters had a long, long Twitter thread about USA basketball that I think in there had some good points. But when you make a couple good points in a long thread that just kind of goes off the rails in more than a few different spots, it's kind of hard to take it seriously. So just to try and recap it as quickly as as I possibly can, because this thing is like 20 tweets. Like we have a lot going on here. So her entire rant was about quote, bum ass USA basketball. She is more or less saying that there are a lot of great players and that she doesn't have any issue with the players that are on the current roster because they have worked for the opportunity and they deserve their moment. She calls USA basketball fraudulent as hell for eternity. I have to give her credit. That's a very great description of anything. And says that because of 
their BS that they spew to the players on the process, a lot of these players are playing for other countries because it's so hard to break into the USA pool, which yes, it should be hard to break into the USA pool. That's why they have won the gold medal in the Olympics since 1996. That's just how it works. She says that the goalpost gets moved when they, when it gets to the Olympics, there are excuses and the cycle continues Obviously, it's political, as pretty much every single thing in the universe is. So the first exact example that she goes to is in 2012, there are six UConn players on the roster, and Gino was the coach. And, quote, even some of my friends that played at UConn were confused by that roster. I think probably the the biggest contention on that one would be that Asia Jones made the team and I can't find the quote anywhere, but I thought I remember Gino saying probably last year when UConn played the U S national team, that when he was head coach, the only player from UConn that he demanded be on one of his teams was Asia Jones because he knew exactly what the USA team needed that year. And Asia Jones could fill that. So it's not like Gino is just, exclusively picking UConn players. And also the second point to this is where do most of the best basketball players in the country play in college? They play at UConn. So yes, they get great coaching. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. That is a head case that has reports coming out about them, that they're difficult to deal with. They're not coachable. All these players are just universally lauded as great teammates, great basketball players, very coachable. So it makes sense that the roster is a lot of times made up of a lot of UConn players. Now there's more variation in where the top talent is coming from in college. But if you look back five, 10 years, when these players that were on those Olympic rosters, there was just such a high percentage of them that were coming from UConn. It just makes perfect sense. Then the next point she makes is that in London, they had a schedule for the USA team and a schedule just for the UConn players, activities that were just for UConn players, which that is actually really interesting. And I would like to hear more about that, but she doesn't really elaborate on it. So I, I don't really know how much more to say in terms of what that would be. Then she goes on to say that Candace Parker barely played at all in that 2012 Olympics and then obviously didn't make the 2016 Olympics have I hallucinated that Gino said that she was a bad teammate and that's why she got left off the roster? Or did he actually come out and say that? I don't remember it, but it doesn't mean that he didn't say it. <laughs> I trust your memory of that more than I trust mine. So, Okay. I think he did mention that, which would kind of explain why Candace Parker didn't play a ton of minutes in 2012 and then why she get le- got left off in 2016. And then the same controversy, similar thing came up when, Candace Parker got left off the 2016 team and Brianna Stewart was pretty much the player that was brought on. So obviously Gino, the coach, Brianna Stewart, his player makes it. Candace Parker doesn't help that she went to Tennessee either. Didn't make it. I honestly have no strong opinion on that one way or another. I wasn't in those meetings. Gino's not the only one exclusively picking these teams. So, Hey, they won gold. That's the other thing. The U S has won gold since every year since 1996. So can we really be complaining that much about the way that the U S national team builds their roster and what the program is like. It's not like we're talking about the men's soccer team here. Someone that just perpetually underachieves consistently makes dumb decisions and always finds a way to trip over themselves. Like this is the arguably one of the most dominant teams in sports history. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, I don't have a big opinion on the Brianna Stewart versus Candace Parker thing in 
2016 either, but it wasn't Gina Olmone making that decision. I think if there was someone on the committee that very strongly felt that Candace Parker was should have been on that roster, she probably would have been on that roster. Right. Our next point is that I think she's talking about Nafisa Collier makes the roster instead of Neko Gumake. We already discussed that one. She goes on for a good amount about NECA. She feels strongly that NECA should have made the roster. I don't have any issue with attempting to make that argument. I mean, like, I think it's reasonable to make that argument, even if we disagree with it. That That's more or less where the rest of the thread goes, is criticizing USA Basketball for not putting NECA on, calling the committee a crock of stuff, if you know what I'm saying, all that sort of thing. So that was... the It was... Like I said, there were some very interesting things mixed in there, but then it also just at the same time felt like it got a little blown out of proportion when, like I said, this is a team that wins every single time it steps on the court practically when it's not like there's anyone super obvious that you could have left off the roster when yes, obviously the UConn players are going to make up the majority of the roster because of how good they are. It's just, it feels like, People are just using this as an excuse to get mad when there's not really a reason to, but they just want to get mad. So they're going to get mad anyways. Yeah. I mean, people love to get mad, especially when it has something to do with UConn. So that is exactly what it feels like. I There's a very legitimate argument for Lineka to be on that roster. And I've, I'm fine with people making that argument. But I think the whole argument about the fact that like, you know, is controlling the whole team and before it was that he was the coach and now it's, you know, the, he's on the committee. So apparently the coach has no say in it now. So like, it, does, it doesn't make any sense, but whatever. People yeah. Can like have their bad takes. <laughs> apparently Gino is the all ruling master of USA basketball. He makes every single decision regardless. And like, why would Kurt Miller and Carol Callen somehow have this pro Yukon bias? That's just another, like, why, what, what incentive do they have to be pushing these UConn players on the roster? Exactly. And then, I mean, Dot Staley is the coach. It, like, she has a big hand in that roster. People are like, oh, don't res- disrespect Don by acting like NECA got, like, she didn't want NECA on this roster. And I'm like, if Don really wanted NECA on the roster, NECA would be on the roster. I feel like it's more disrespectful to Don Staley to, like, act like she just got steamrolled by the man on the committee and didn't pick to the roster. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you said this before we recorded, but like Gino gets blamed for taking Stewie back in 2016. Yet apparently Don Staley is just this helpless, like has no control over anything. It's just, it's just ridiculous. So even worse, the, I think just by far the worst take, one of the worst takes I really have ever seen in the context of basketball is that specifically it was, this was intended towards Subert and Diana Taurasi players who have been to multiple Olympics should give up their spots on the Olympic team so that other players can have a chance to go, which I really don't think I need to go into more detail with that one. Like that, that is pretty self-explanatory why that is just an utterly horrendous take. Exactly. Like you doesn't need more details, but also just like the fact that you would never, ever, ever, ever in men's sports be like, this player should give up their spot. It's just such a sexist argument on top of everything else, as much as it is stupid too. (laughs) Tom Brady should give one of his Super Bowl trophies to the Rams because he beat them twice. So he would, he should be nice and give (laughs) one of, one of his Super Bowls to them or 
LeBron James should give up his spot on the LA Lakers and he should let someone else go to the NBA finals one year or UConn should just withdraw from an NCAA tournament one year so that another team has a chance to go to the final four instead of them. Like what? that's not, you shouldn't get to go to the Olympics because you, someone else should get the chance. You go to the Olympics because you earn it. The Olympics are the pinnacle of sporting achievement. And the whole point of getting there is that it's really, really hard. And I was talking with one of my friends who's a big track guy. And the way that track qualification is, is you have one chance to get there. The top three people in a single event from the U S go to the Olympics. So I think it's, if I'm remembering it right, this one woman set the world record for high jump or something a few months ago in some random track event. I, sorry. I, I just don't follow track very closely, but <laughs> she set the world record. She is the greatest person ever to do high jump. And she had a bad day during Olympic qualifying and didn't make it. She is not going to the Olympics. So the greatest high jumper in world history isn't going to the Olympics because she didn't have it on a given day, but should she just get that spot anyways, because everyone knows she's good. No, you have to earn your way there. And by like, you think Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi, the competitors that they are, are just going to say, Oh yeah, I would rather have this younger player have it. No, they want to play in five Olympics. If they are still around in four years, or I guess three years now, they're going to try and play in their sixth Olympics. If like they unlock the Tom Brady, you just can play forever and apparently never drop in your level of play and play until they're 50. They're going to try and go to their seventh Olympics. They're not just going to step down and hand it off to someone else to be nice. It's just such like a ridiculous concept that goes against everything that sports are about everything. The Olympics are about. It's just, I can't believe that was something that not, not only like not random people had, people with a voice in the women's basketball community had. It's just, I can't believe that was a real thing. Yeah. I still cannot believe that it's a real thing. So I think we can just leave it at that, but it's just a horrible take. Just while we're on the topic of horrible takes, I got to get this one out of the way. I have seen a lot of people in my mentions and now we might just be talking about random people. That's fine. You <laughs> uh, uh, fans are very down on Olivia Nelson and At least there's maybe it's a vocal minority, but some people think Olivia Nelson Adota is not going to start next year. And I think that's just utterly preposterous. Olivia Nelson Adota is probably, I mean, Paige Beckers is probably the first one you write in the starting lineup, just, you know, national player of the year and everything, but she's probably two a and two B with Kristen Williams. Like she's right there. She's going to be in the starting lineup. Olivia Nelson Adota is a very good player that has a propensity for playing horribly in really big moments. And that's fine. I think we can acknowledge that. I think we have discussed that at length, but we also can't take away that for 95% of the season, Olivia Nelson Adota is either a good, a very good. And now and then we've seen her be a great player. So I don't think we should be going off the final game of the season that she's not going to start next year. I think she's from the tape that I've seen. I think she's a much, much better player than Dorka Uhas, And that's not a knock on Dorka. I think Dorka is going to contribute. I still think she's a much, much better player than Aaliyah Edwards. And I think they're just different players too. So I think they're going to be playing different roles, but I can't imagine Aaliyah Edwards is taking Olivia Nelson Adota's job next year to be in the starting lineup. Olivia Nelson Adota is going to be the starting center. And I just 
can't believe that some people think differently. Exactly. She's the senior. She's the leader on the team. She is a very, very good player, despite what she might have shown up for in that last game and a couple other games last season. But 99% of the time, she's a very, very good player. There's no way she's not in that starting lineup come November. I don't really understand where that take comes from. Well, yeah, Edwards is very good in her own right, too, but she's going to have her time. and She's not going to be in the starting Well, she might be in the starting lineup, but she's not taking Olivia Nelson out of the spot in the starting lineup. I'd just like to state on the record for the first time that I don't know the last time we discussed what the starting lineup is going to be, but like I'm officially putting in my prediction that AZ foot is going to be in the starting lineup. Like I, <laughs> I am more than happy to throw my hat in that ring after watching her high school tape. Like, okay, I get it. I understand why she's the number one player in the country. I understand why she's a generational player. If you also want to understand that, please go check out the UConn women's basketball weekly premium to see my film review on her. I've also done film reviews on all the other incoming freshmen, as well as the players last year who didn't play a whole lot, like PF Gabriel, Mir McLean, Sailor Poffenbarger, as well as Dorky Juhas. And speaking of film reviews, I looked at Aaliyah Edwards' performance in the America with Team Canada, her second major tournament with the senior Canadian national team. And I think my biggest takeaway, her stats weren't anything special. She averaged 4.2 points, 4.1 rebounds, 14.4 minutes per game, and only shot 13 of 35 from the field. And in the first game, she went six of nine from the floor. So she went seven of 26, the rest of the tournament from the floor. Missed a lot of easy shots. So wasn't necessarily her best performance, but the thing that really stuck out with Aaliyah Edwards at UConn her freshman year, she was almost exclusively a player that a big bruiser in the post mostly was in the paint. We saw her as the year progressed, get more comfortable with that kind of elbow free throw jumper, but we still didn't see her drift all that far out of the low post for the most part against Canada. She was most of the time playing as a wing and she was just, I think it was, we saw a lot of what we heard about Aaliyah Edwards, but didn't necessarily see as a freshman. I remember going into last year before we'd watched anyone play. A lot of people had talked about not only Aaliyah's physicality, but how athletic she was. And I feel like that athleticism didn't necessarily come through for the most part as a post player for UConn as a freshman. And then I remember her also mentioning that she felt like she was a pretty good slasher. And we saw none of that her first year. Those two things definitely came through with Canada. And it's just, we already had very high hopes for Leah Edwards. And we've both said on this podcast that she was probably the third best freshman in the country this past season. And after watching her with Canada, it feels like there's just this entire half of her game that we haven't seen any of at UConn that she's still going to develop and add into the mix in stores. Exactly. I just think like if she can bring even just half of what we saw in Canada in these Canada games that she ha- we haven't seen at UConn yet, it just makes her such a more versatile player and brings so much more into her role on UConn. And like you said, we already have really really high expectations for her, but if she brings that much more to the team, I think those expectations just go up, and it also just is going to make UConn so much better. I think we everyone's pretty clear that we're high on UConn for next season, but it just makes the outlook for the team look even better if she can bring some of those skills along with her next year. Yeah. I think to try and paint a audio picture for you, the play that really stood out to me the most was Aliyah Edwards grabs a rebound 
and she kind of has to work her way around some traffic as players are going up the court and she takes the ball and pretty much full speed. She dribbles up the court with complete ease, crosses over at one point, gets up to the three point line, a defender comes up on her and she just like gets to another gear blows by the defender goes all the way to the basket and lays it in just grabs a rebound and goes coast to coast with it. And without watching that, I wouldn't have known at all that that was something that was part of Leah Edwards game. And it's, it's just tantalizing to think that, like I said, we have only really seen this very small percentage of what she can do. And she was still incredibly good in that as a freshman. Anyway, she led the country in field goal percentage. She averaged double digit points. She was honestly at times, one of UConn's best players in the NCAA tournament to think that that is just, I guess, surface level, the tip of the iceberg, whatever cliches and analogies you want to use. There's so much more to Aaliyah Edwards game. I genuinely can't imagine what she's going to look like this year especially as a junior, as a senior. I mean, if Paige Beckers wasn't on the team, like she could be a national player of the year type. I think she has that sort of potential. And if even we just see her use her athleticism more, she doesn't even need to be the slasher, the face-up player, a shooter, anything like that. If she can just have a little more freedom to show off that athleticism, I think that also just really changes the dynamic of this UConn team. Exactly. I think, you know, the ceiling for her is so high and how much better she can be this year versus the following year and the year after that is going to be really exciting to watch. I think also just to kind of jump back on her stats quickly, I even like watching her when she struggled, it's important to remember that she was the youngest player on team Canada. She was probably one of the youngest players in the entire tournament. I mean, Camila Cardoso was on team Brazil. So it's not like it was out of the ordinary that there were a ton of young players there. But when you're playing against not all senior national team players, but international competition, professional players, it's understandable for a player who's only been only completed her freshman year to have some struggles. So I wasn't all that worried that she wasn't great finishing or anything like that. She still had those bad fouls that we saw, especially early in the year at UConn. So it's not like it was a perfect performance, but for the most part, what I was watching was just how she was playing. That was really the revelation for me. Yeah, I think that makes sense. You're looking at a player that is coming in at kind of a very different level than a lot of the players on these teams are coming in. I think had a lot of professional experience and played in a lot of international basketball at a senior level. She's very new to that. So like you said, I don't think it's anything concerning that her numbers weren't that great. I think just getting that experience and seeing some of those skills at that level uh, is a really good sign. We're going to take a quick ad break and come back with some UConn in the WNBA talk and also predict which UConn players we think might be in the 2024 Olympics. So the big news in the WNBA right now in terms of former Huskies are on the injury front. Diana Taurasi is expected back soon, which we talked about earlier, but Tiffany Hayes is going to be out for a while. Herder MCL, pretty big blow to an Atlanta Dream Team and just a big blow to Hayes too, who had been playing very well this season and had missed the entire season last year after opting out. Yeah, definitely disappointing to see. She's been on a roll for Atlanta. She's helped them to kind of have a better record, I think, than a lot of people expected to start off the season. So, I mean, Atlanta's also dealing with an injury to Kennedy Carter. So a a rough stack of events for them in general. But 
definitely disappointing to see her sideline for, I think it's six weeks or so, they've said. Was it a torn MCL? No, I think it's partially torn or sprained, and I'm forgetting now, but it's not fully torn, so it's it's only six weeks is what I saw, I believe. I'm looking for it. Right, fully torn probably almost definitely would have knocked her out for the entire season. Exactly. It was a grade two MCL tear in her right leg. Um, Expected recovery time is approximately four to six weeks, so not a full tear. I don't know what grade two means exactly, but not fully torn. (laughs) So that puts her back, what, mid-July, early August, thereabouts? Yeah, so in a way, this Olympic break should be a good timeline for her because mid-July through, I think, like, the second week or August or so, the WNBA is on an Olympic break. There's no games during the Olympics, so she'll hopefully be able to come back at the end of that Olympic break for the, the latter half of the season. I'm always just, every time the Olympics come up, it just blows my mind that the Olympics are two weeks long. They're like... I think longer than two weeks long. Aren't they like three or four weeks long? No, I'm pretty sure they're only two weeks long. Huh. Like it's it's a very every single person I tell this to is very surprised how short the Olympics are. They start on Friday Friday, July 23rd, and they end Sunday, August 8th. Oh uh, yeah, that is only like two weeks. Right? Isn't that wild? <laughs> I don't understand how that happens. Like I feel like they always it, feel longer. <laughs> right? Is it just a pandemic thing? Was it, is this what it normally is? And it just feels longer because you're watching so much. It's crazy. Yeah. I don't know. I'm like trying to look up what the 2024 schedule looks like to see if it's. 2016 was August 5th to August 21st, which I believe that's two weeks, right? A little more. Yeah. Well, it is always, always like two weeks. I guess I just looked up Paris is 2024 is in Paris and it's, July 26th to August 11th. So that's just over two weeks as well. Yeah, that's, I don't understand how that, that doesn't make any sense because it just feels like it's so much longer. I guess you just spend so much time. I feel like I remember in 2016, like every single day, I would just pop on the TV and watch the Olympics like throughout the day as I was doing stuff. Maybe I just, I don't know. I felt like I was doing that all summer. If I had to guess, the Olympics are like a month long, but it's just crazy. Two weeks. Yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. I'm trying to like think back to 2016. The Olympics were like my first two weeks of like working full time in 2016. I don't know. Uh, I have like a odd memory of being in a random bar in Nashville watching the U.S. take penalty kicks and losing and being upset. <laughs> but... Yeah, it was like, I guess it was just like those first two weeks of work because I missed everything because I was basically in training all day. I can't remember anything about the 2016 Olympics. Oh, that was Zika. Zika was big. Oh, yes. (laughs) How could I forget that? Yeah. Just in general, excited for the 2020 slash parentheses 2021 Olympics. But to quickly look ahead to the 2024 Olympics, UConn still figures to have a pretty good influence on the roster. I think we can comfortably say Brianna Stewart is going to be on that team. She's going to be, I think, 30 by that point. No, 29, because it's only three years away. So still in her prime, as long as knock on wood, she continues to stay healthy. She's probably the first name on that list as she was this year. 
what are the odds that Subert and Diana Taurasi not only make it three more years as professional players, but three years from now are still playing at a high enough level and haven't been surpassed by anyone else to be on a sixth Olympic roster. Sorry, I'm having an existential crisis about the fact that I'm going to be almost 30 in three years. But anyway, um, <laughs> I feel like the odds that DT and Sue are still playing three years from now, unfortunately, are kind of low. I kind of feel like this will probably be their last Olympics. But, I mean, I, I feel like they've both had a fair amount of injury trouble over the last few years, which is why I say that. Because really, when they have been playing, they are playing at a level that they're still among the best players in the league and could continue playing like that. But I think the injuries have gotten worse and more frequent. So it kind of makes me think that we might be seeing their last Olympics. I don't know if I want to say this out loud, but no. (laughs) From talking with both of them when they came to Connecticut for the game two years ago, it really kind of, felt like they were both kind of saying a little bit that they were going to get to these, what we then thought was going to be the 2020 Olympics before a couple things happened. They were going to get there. They were going to play that fifth Olympics. They were going to get that fifth gold medal. They were going to finish the WNBA season. And it kind of felt like both of them were comfortable with that being both of them seemed to mention how this is one last thing that they want to accomplish. Maybe the pandemic and everything has changed their mindset since then, because I don't think we can really take anyone's thoughts or what they've said in January, 2020 and assume that everything is still the same as it is now because lots has changed. I wouldn't be that surprised though, if they go win these Olympics W NBA season ends and then maybe they decide that's enough. Hopefully not. Hopefully they play as long as they humanly can. There's a great quote that I found by Chris Gedney, who was a former UConn player, UConn's big first star before Gino showed up. She never played for Gino. She had a quote in a story that I found that said it. Thank God for the WNBA. Cause if I couldn't watch Sue bird play anymore, I'd just die, which relatable. I just have this feeling like it's going to be Olympics, WNBA season, and then off into the sunset. Yeah, I kind of feel like that too. I kind of think the pandemic bought us an extra year of getting to watch Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi play basketball. But I unfortunately agree with you. I think this could be the last year. So people should spend less time arguing about whether they should be on the roster and just appreciate what you're getting to watch for the next few months. Right. So the other player on the rosters, other players on the roster, I should say, Tina Charles playing really well right now. I think she might just be a little aged out by the time the next Olympics come around at the moment. She is not 67. Like I just Googled that (laughs) Tina Charles. She's 32. She'll be 35 by the next Olympics. She's playing really well right now, but I still think she probably was one of the latter choices. I mean, Sylvia Fowles is 35 and on the Olympic roster, but I wonder if maybe by the time 2024 comes around, if she won't be at the same level and someone else will have taken her spot. 
I don't think it's a sure thing that she won't be on the roster, but I would probably bet against her being there in Paris. Yeah, I kind of agree. It feels like she was probably one of the last players to earn a spot this year. And she's not that it means anything, but she's only on a one-year contract, I believe, in Washington. So, um, and we could be kind of nearing the end of when she's going to be playing as well. Nafisa Collier is an interesting one. Theoretically, she should still be on the Olympic roster in three years, but I feel like just with a player like her, she's still relatively young in her WNBA career. She hasn't played a ton on the international level. And I feel like it's different than soccer where international club are two very separate things. I feel like for the most part, there's a lot of similar similarities in basketball. It's probably a safe bet that she's on the next one. Right. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a guarantee, but it would probably be pretty surprising if she's on this one. And then for some reason, isn't on 2024 barring some obviously unforeseen circumstances. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I'm usually really high on Nafisa, so I don't think this is surprising, but like (laughs) she's kind of, you know, she got buzzed going into this season as a big time MVP candidate. I think that's going to continue over the coming years. And I think she's kind of come 2024, assuming nothing major changes. I think she'd be pretty much a lock for the roster. Then there's pretty much everyone else. So do you think anyone else from UConn is going to be on that roster? I think for me, I think Paige Beckers is a lock for 2024, even though she's going to be probably just graduated from UConn. Maybe she stays for that fifth year if NIL passes and she starts making a lot of money off of that. Or maybe she'll have just finished her first WNBA season if she leaves a year early. Either way, I feel like it's going to be very, very hard for her not to be on that roster, especially considering, as we've talked about, Alex Bazell saying that how she could already be one of the best point guards in the league right now. As you mentioned, there aren't really a ton of other guards right now that are standing out. There's going to be that vacuum without Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird likely there. I, again, barring unforeseen circumstances, I would be stunned if Paige Beckers isn't on that next Olympic team. Yeah, I think there's a pretty high chance she's on that team. I don't know that I like Ryder and Sharpie right now because I think it's probably tougher to make coming out of college. I just think, like, obviously, I mean, it was a pretty controversial when Stewie made it coming out of college, and Stewie is very clearly now the best player in the world. So <laughs> um, I think it could be a little tougher. And like you said, there's just like such a world of possibilities of what she could be doing that year. She, she could be on the four-year plan. The, she could leave after three. The NIL just like brings on this whole new possibility of someone like her staying for five years. That would like never be a thought before. So it'll be interesting to see where she is in three years, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see her on that roster. Here's a really interesting one. Maya Moore. She's also 32, but hasn't played in what will be three seasons now, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know if that means that her body might feel like it's 29 or if she still feels like she's 32. We also don't even know if she's ever going to return to basketball, which I don't know. To me, it feels like the more time that goes by that she's not coming back, the more likely it is that she never will. But if she comes back, I have a hard time believing she's not going to be a superstar anymore after even after taking a few years off. 
could she possibly be one of those elder veteran players on the 2024 roster, especially considering that she's already been to the Olympics multiple times before? I think, yes. I think if she comes back, I think you're going to, I don't think Maya's going to come back if she can't play at like that high level again. Right. So if she decides to mm-hmm. come back, which I don't really know how likely that is, like you said, it kind of feels less and like less likely as time moves on, but I do think she's going to be playing at a high level and she's going to be kind of one of those players that you can't leave off. I, I, I think if she's playing, she's on it. The bigger if is, is she playing? Right. And I think it also could be if let's say she comes back next year and she isn't at that level that she used to be, I could totally see her being the type of player that's like, okay, well I gave it a second shot. It's not there anymore. I'm happy with it where I am in life. Like I'm going to retire. So I think it's possible that she could come back and not be at that level, but I don't think that'll happen. I, I, I think it's less likely that that happens then if she doesn't come back at all, if that makes sense, I think it's more likely she doesn't come back at all than she comes back and isn't an elite player anymore. Yeah, I would agree with that. Who would be some dark horse candidates for this roster with UConn ties? I feel like there aren't a whole lot of them because really besides Stewie, Diana and Sue, and I mean, we can throw in a piece in there, are really the only other UConn superstars in the league. And it doesn't necessarily feel like there's anyone else for the next couple years until Paige Beckers gets out, especially I'd have to say probably AZ FUD. We can talk about Aliyah Edwards in a minute, but I know she's not going to be on the 2024 U S <laughs> women's national team. So it, they have a lot of good players in the WNBA, but once Bird and Tarasi are gone, that star power is really going to drop, I think. Yeah, I feel like another fringe player is Katie Lucy Hamilton. She's always been part of that pool. She just really hasn't found that success in the league, but maybe she'll find it. And I think she's, you know, she's going with, well, hopefully going with three by three this year. It sounds like they haven't actually finalized that team, which is weird. But um, so she might be going as part of three by three, three on three this year. And then she's been in the pool for a while. So if she can kind of find her way in the league a little bit, I think she could, there's room that she could find herself onto that roster, but I don't think she's there right now. Easy foot is an interesting case because I mean, obviously she hasn't even played at a college game yet, but I do think like <laughs> if she amounts to everything that she's been hyped up to be, I think she could be in the conversation in 2024. Right. That would be really wild if UConn has two players from their active roster on the Olympics in 2024, especially kind of think about how far the games progressed since like Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi first went to the Olympics, deeper talent pool, more diverse talent pool, just in the sense of more schools producing great players. Yeah. If UConn, puts two people from college on that roster the reaction would be we'd be back to our unnamed segment of yes. bad takes but <laughs> i mean sure. <laughs> you never know just if like you said if she is what she's supposed to be i mean it, it might just be they don't want to take one they'd take one college player they might not want to take two is would she be all that much better than whoever the best guard is that would that she, whose spot she would take that's playing in the WNBA at a professional level has been with the U S national team. 
I don't know. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, too many questions like about, you know, what players will be left and the, in the guard positions ready to play this year, that year, then, you know, how do people develop over time, right? Like, I think the guard pool right now is not that deep. I think why it's so crazy that you would even argue against Super being on this roster is that, like, when you look at the pool of guards in the WNBA, there's no one I'm pointing to, like, that person should be on the roster. So, but that can change a lot in, in three years. What about Crystal Dangerfield? I feel like... I, I wouldn't put money on her being on it, but I feel like she could be a player that maybe forces her way into that conversation with, as you said, not a ton of guards really in the mix. There's going to be a big opening in that backcourt in probably the near future. Great first season in the WNBA. Three years is a long time to continue to improve. If maybe just that, backcourt doesn't get substantially better in the next few years could she maybe force her way into at least the conversation or at least just into the pool I don't even think she's in the pool right now yeah I think she could definitely force her way into the pool even if she I mean she hasn't had a great season so far but she's still been pretty solid so I think like I said there's just not like the guard depth isn't there so she can definitely force her way into the conversation I think there was she didn't make second team all on WNBA list season but she was probably at least in the conversation for that she's got a chance to force her way into the pool I think it would be difficult for her to make it there I just think there's a lot of young guards in the league right now you've got Sabrina you've got Kennedy Carter you've got a lot of big name young guards that have a lot of talent that I think you know with a couple years under their belt will probably rise above Crystal in terms of for those spots but at least the pool I think is very doable for her yeah, that makes sense. And again, it's 12 spots for the Olympics. That is right. a very, very, very small percentage of the pool, which I think is what, 144 players? Yeah, it's something much larger than the roster. <laughs> yeah, so the this is the top 1% of the top 1%. It's very, very exclusive company. Moving outside the U.S., Kia Nurse, I feel like, is still probably going to be a fixture with the Canadian national team in three years. And I bet I don't really know where Leah Edwards would stand with the Canadian national team for this year's Olympics. I don't have a great grasp on what their pool looks like, but I feel very, very confident that she'll be going to London, Paris in 2024. No doubt in my mind with that one. Yeah, exactly. I also don't know much about the Canadian pool, but. I think she's, you know, obviously she's at the America Cup right now. They're going to add their W players, so she might be, you know, kind of on the fringe and not make it this year. But I, by 2024, I would be shocked to see her not on the roster. So to wrap up, we missed one of the biggest national holidays of the year since our last podcast. Something that blows my mind every single time it comes around on the calendar and I see tweets about it. June 11th, not only Diana Taurasi's birthday, also Maya Moore's birthday. The fact that those two players were born on the same date. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Just insane. <laughs> Rename it goat day. <laughs> Anyways, that is going to do it for this episode of chasing perfection. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review for the show. Tell your friends. Also sign up for the Yukon Women's Basketball Weekly. Get the free version in your email inbox every single Thursday. If you subscribe, you'll get film reviews, Megan's Yukon and the WNBA updates, 
and a lot more there. Coverage of the Huskies all year round. Be sure to sign up for that. Subscribe. Read the UConn blog. Stay tuned. Hopefully we have an event with the team coming up in the near future. If everything goes well, we'll see. Hopefully we'll have a lot more to talk about next episode. Megan, send us out. We didn't talk about U.S. soccer at all today, but we will both probably be at the games next week. So if you see us, say hi. (laughs) Oh my God, that's next week. Yep. (laughs) Wow. Other than that, thanks for listening.